Mark's gospel tells a story of Jesus sending the disciples on ahead across the Sea of Galilee they, by boat. So they get on a boat, they travel into the water, and the sea becomes stormy, and the waves beat the boat about, and the boat travels far from the land. When Jesus sees this, he begins walking on the water toward the boat. The disciples think that he's a ghost. And he says to them, do not be afraid, it is I. And then the storm is calmed. Matthew's gospel adds this to Mark's account. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You have little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, I'm pleased to see some of the toys from my youth making an appearance in the Honda advertisements on TV. Especially Stretch Armstrong. You remember Stretch Armstrong? He looked like a bodybuilder. He was incredibly dense and heavy for a toy. But the strength of Stretch Armstrong was that he could be stretched in any direction. And I am hoping that Stretch Armstrong appears back on the shelves because I think he would make a great toy for every Christian child. Stretch Armstrong is a model for discipleship. Now, I have had a very different model of discipleship for much of my life. I believed that being a disciple was simply about doing the right thing, not messing up. And if I did mess up, then I would apologize profusely, ask for forgiveness, and then get on the straight and narrow path again. That, I'm afraid, is a very small and wimpy model of being a disciple. I have Peter to thank for showing me a different way. You see, Peter says that a disciple's place is outside of the boat. That your place and my place is outside of the boat, walking on water. Now, you need to know that for a first century person, the water, the Sea of Galilee, was a dark and dangerous place. It was a place of uncertainty. It was a place of chaos. So if a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee had the task of traveling from one point of land on the sea directly across the sea to the other point, the fisherman would probably go along the shoreline in his boat, the long route along the sea line, along the shoreline, so that he didn't have to go across the dark and dangerous water. Could it be that Jesus tells his disciples, try a new route, try a different, uncertain way? One of the things I really appreciate about this passage is that Jesus's place is, in fact, standing on the danger, stomping around on the chaos. And that not only is that Jesus's place, but Jesus says that's Peter's place, too. Because Jesus tells Peter, come on out of the boat. 
this is your place as well. Now, Peter does, in fact, sink. But I don't think that Jesus' words to Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt, are words that are tainted with shame. Jesus wouldn't say, oh, Peter, you embarrass me. Why do you doubt in God? But instead, I believe that Jesus would say, Peter, why did you doubt yourself? Come on, get back into this boat, but you will try again. Better luck next time. A few years ago, my family and I traveled to a dude ranch, all 18 of us, for a few days together. On our last morning at the dude ranch, the fathers and the older children were out in a field shooting skeet. And as I walked at a safe distance on the other side of the fence past that activity, my husband called out to me, Hey, Dinah, you want to try? And I heard that as a dare, so I said, Sure. I took the gun from the ranch hand, and I fired off several shots. None of them hit any clay pigeons. My father, in fact, said, It's a safe day for clay pigeons. As I handed the gun back to the ranch hand, turned around to walk back up towards the house, I turned around to notice that my 11-year-old nephew, who had not taken a turn up to this point, decided that he would shoot the gun. He didn't have to say it, but I knew what he was thinking. If Aunt Dinah can do it, I can do it. Now, what is it that I want my nephew to learn from that experience? Do I want my nephew to believe that every disciple needs to know how to shoot a gun? No, that's not it. (laughs) What I want my nephew to have learned is that the disciple's place, the place of the faithful, is often an uncertain new place. There's new ground, new territory for us to walk on. And I would add to that for my nephew today, if you see Rabbi Jesus in the midst of that chaos in the midst of that uncertainty, then get on out of the boat. (laughs) Walk on that land. Walk on that water. That is, in fact, your place. Now, I have had another misunderstanding of discipleship. Another way that I have misunderstood discipleship is to say that discipleship is about right belief. That discipleship is about really good theology. But I think over the course of my lifetime, over my experience, God has shown me that there's a problem with this. I have had many uh, good friends who were bad theologians. None of you, of course. (laughs) But it's true that bad theologians often make for very good friends. It's not dependent upon their theology, but dependent upon their character. Dallas Willard, who was a great theologian, and I appreciate many of his fine arguments, right before he died, taught a group of people. And as he taught, he said, the church is coming out of a period of time where we stressed the importance of proper belief. And we said that if a person believes the proper right way, then God will see to it that when they die, they will go to the good place. Instead of the bad place. This developed in such a way that it became burdensome for the church. Because it meant that a person could have the worst possible character and still get into the good place if they believed the right thing. 
Now, discipleship can't be about perfect theology, and discipleship can't be about perfect living. Discipleship, instead, I believe, is about transformation. It's about stretching. It's about walking into the place of uncertainty. Now, I have spent a good deal of time over the last few years in the courses that are offered through faith walking. And faith walking says that there are three different places where we can stretch our spiritual muscles. The first place that we can stretch our spiritual muscle is in our reflective life. Now, the reflective life is about practicing the disciplines of the faith. And there really are two different strains of the disciplines of the faith. There are those disciplines that are about abstinence, like fasting, or solitude, or silence. And then there are those disciplines that are about engagement, like fellowship, or worship, or prayer, or study. In the practices of engagement, you're taking something on. You're adding something to your life. Now, it's hard to say what is the exact right combination of the disciplines of the faith for every person. Every person needs their own, needs to design their own recipe of the disciplines of the faith for themselves. I think it's important to consider what do we need at any given stage of life. A young mother, I can assure you, needs some solitude. An elderly mother probably needs worship or fellowship. I also think it's important to consider the way that you are. The way that you be naturally and then push yourself, stretch yourself. I have had the privilege of following my parents into the practices of the faith. So I spent a good deal of time watching them take on some of these practices when I was a child. What I can tell you about my father is that he is a very intelligent, studious man and he likes solitude and he likes study. But he was also very quick to tell me that he needs worship and he needs fellowship to test out some of his ideas. My mother, on the other hand, is a very social woman. She loves worship. She loves fellowship. But she needs study. She needs solitude to fuel her conversation with other disciples. Another place where we can stretch our spiritual muscles is in What faith walking calls radical obedience. Now, don't let this term scare you off. Radical obedience is basically examining the rules that you have for living your day-to-day life up next to the text, up next to scripture, and seeing where those rules match and where those rules do not match. Now, let me share some of my rules for operation with you. One will come as as no surprise to you, take no risks. There's also always work to make people happy. In any given group, I'm the responsible one, especially if things go south. And don't engage any authority. Just act invisible. That's another one. Well, none of these rules really match up very well with Scripture. In fact, Scripture says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other God before me. Scripture says, come to me, all of you who are 
weak and heavy laden. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Jesus said in the Gospels, two men built houses, one on sand, one on stone, and storms came to both houses. You can't always be happy. It's important that we examine the way that we operate in the world and we hold it up to scripture. We bring that way of operating into light because there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. So we don't need to be embarrassed or shamed about it, but we bring the way that we operate into the light so that we can see where we can stretch, where we grow. And then the third place that you can stretch your spiritual muscles is in an authentic community, in relationship with other disciples. So in relationship with other disciples, we're encouraging one another to take on the practices of the faith. We're being honest with one another about where we fall short in living up to the text, but we're also talking about where we've made progress. And then we're looking for where God is at work in the world, where we can step out on the water and join Jesus in stomping on chaos. I um, was walking through the living room this week while my children were watching brain games. And so I sat down for just a few minutes to see what brain game was on. And the game that was on was count the number of gumballs in the gumball machine. So that 20 people were asked to guess the number of gumballs in a gumball machine, and then they just wrote the numbers up on the whiteboard. And the numbers were all over the place, from 250 to 2,500. And then in walked a kid with a calculator. He walked up to the whiteboard, and he started punching numbers. And I thought, oh, this is the math genius, the math whiz. And he knows some kind of super formula that's going to tell us exactly the exact number of gumballs in the gumball machine. You know what the kid with the calculator was doing? A simple average. He averaged the 20 numbers on the whiteboard, and he came within 20 of the exact numbers of gumballs in the gumball machine. It reminded me that it's important that I'm in relationship with other gumballs, (laughs) that I'm in relationship with other people. Because sometimes I'm a little bit off. Sometimes I'm a lot off. My voice needs to be heard. My voice needs to be a part of the conversation, and I need to hear the conversation as well. Well, I have two very early memories that are of rather traumatic experiences. I must have been about two and a half or three for the first memory. I saw in my room, over my bed, a red balloon, and I decided that I was going to run down the hallway into my room and jump and get the balloon from over my bed. So I ran, but I didn't jump. And I fell into the steel part of my trundle bed, and I cut my head open. And what I remember about that experience was a lot of blood, head injury, a trip to the emergency room, a big needle, and stitches in the forehead. The second experience, my poor parents must not have been too much longer after that. It was, must have been within a year. I was out in my backyard. I was playing on the swing set. I was by myself. I somehow got my hand tangled up in the chains of the swing, and I couldn't get it unstuck. And the initial doctor's report was that I wouldn't be able to use my hand again. 
So the meaning that I put on those two experiences was that I was responsible. I did not follow the rules. I did not pay attention. And I brought myself physical pain and I brought my parents emotional pain. So I decided that I would take no risk, that I would follow all of the rules, that I would play it safe. Ten years ago, we had landed in Liberia at the airport, and we were pulling out of the airport in a van, driving towards the capital city. And we began passing the Liberian military, which to me was, to my insight, was 17-year-olds with machine guns. And I got pretty nervous, pretty uneasy. And Pastor Bruce, who was sitting in the front seat and really was for most of the trip my nemesis, could sense my uneasiness. And he said, hey, Dinah, the safest place to be is in God's plan. What are you nervous about? And I said, Bruce, I'm just not as convinced that God is... is, uh, That God is as concerned with my physical well-being as I am. Years later, I have learned through Bruce's words that I had set up my physical safety as a little G-God. And that God has so many good, beautiful, even dangerous things to show me about all of creation. God is gently but firmly reshaping me here. I heard this week that there is a group of people in New York. They've been incorporated for a 100 years. They're called the Explorers Club. And members of the Explorers Club have been to the North Pole. They've been to the South Pole. They've been to the top of Mount Everest. They've been to the deepest part of the ocean. They've even been to the moon. They have current members who apply to take the flag of the Explorers Club on expeditions. In order to qualify to carry the flag on an expedition, you have to show that what you are doing is different and extraordinary. I believe that we are a club of explorers and that Jesus called his disciples to do different things, to do extraordinary things. And so the question I have for you is where will you carry the flag? Where will you take the flag?